tools for living, room to grow, a space of grace to become everything God wants us to be. You're listening to The Living Room Podcast with Joanna Weaver, episode 36. Well, it is such an honor to have my two oldest kids with me today, John Michael Weaver and Jessica Downs. You know, when we recorded this interview, I didn't intend it to be a Father's Day episode. I just wanted to get their take on helping kids grow a relationship with God and and love the church as well. But as we talked about the impact of a godly father, well, I couldn't think of a better time for this episode to air than the week before Father's Day. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Well, I'm so honored to have my beautiful son and, well, how do I say that? My handsome son, John Michael, and my beautiful daughter, Jessica, with me today. We are uh, talking via Zoom and it's just fun to be together. Hi, you guys. Hi. (laughs) Yes. Well, John Michael's been using a whole bunch of Zoom backgrounds that if you guys aren't watching the video, you don't know that he's... He appears to be joining us from San Francisco in front of the Golden Gate Bridge, but you're actually where, John? Oh my goodness, there you are. You're in the moon. Where are you really at right now, John Michael? I am in Whitefish, Montana, beautiful northwest corner of Montana, and uh, we're actually we actually live in Kalispell down the road. um, But I'm a, a pastor associate and youth pastor at Whitefish Assembly up here. Awesome, awesome. And Jessica, where are you, my beautiful daughter? I am at our home in Bothell, Washington, just outside of Seattle, and I'm a kids pastor, one of the kids pastors at our church, uh, Cedar Park Church in in Bothell as well. Awesome. Well, I'm so glad to have you guys with us. I've been wanting to do this interview for a long time um, on the topic of raising kids who love Jesus and the church, because I I have a lot of women who are like. How do, how do I do this? How do I, how do I invest in my kids? And, and, you know, I, I asked you guys on because, because I feel like you guys love Jesus and you love the church. And yet I am fully aware that there are some amazing parents out there who raised their kids exactly how you guys have been raised and they chose to do something different. And so, This is not going to be a podcast about how to raise your children perfectly because unfortunately there was a faulty member in that whole thing uh, called Joanna Weaver, (laughs) a very human mama. Uh, I was going to say John Michael, but I'm Yeah, that was me. I'm the faulty one. Yes. And so, you know, there's a part of me, honestly, that's kind of hesitant about it. And yet at the same time, I really believe that um, that you guys have some things that are important to share from your perspective of being raised in the church, uh, being raised as pastor's kids, and what that looks like. Uh, you know, I've always felt from my personal viewpoint that pastor's kids are the most blessed people in the whole world. And yet I know there has been challenges in this, but um, as we just discussed, you know, what does what are those things that maybe were pivotal in your life growing up, especially in your walk with God? Because, you know, I'm so honored that you guys are children's pastor and youth pastor. I love that you love the ministry, but you guys could be, let's see, what John Michael, you wanted to be a doctor and a lawyer and an astronaut. And we said, that sounds great. You'll be able to take care of us in old age. <laughs> but you could have been, either of you could have been anything, stay at home mom, stay at home dad, and I would be just 
just as proud of you. But John Michael, as you kind of look back at your um, just growing up years and coming to meet Jesus and this whole idea, now that you guys have kids, how how do we how do we create an environment where our children can encounter Jesus and and learn to love Him? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a couple things that were just organic. At least it felt that way growing up. One is that um, although there are automatically pressures as a pastor's kid that come from external forces and even some that we put on ourselves, I don't know that I felt that necessarily from you guys. I think we felt very early on, we knew that we were a part of the ministry. You guys included us. And and a lot of the conversation was that you guys are just as important as we are to the ministry. Um, What I didn't feel is you guys are pastor's kids. You have to act differently. You have to, you have to have it all together. You know, don't embarrass us in front of everyone, which I think is on even unknowingly sometimes the the big disconnect that a lot of pastors kids run up against. And so then they see their imperfect parents at home trying to be perfect in front of a bunch of people that maybe have put up on a pedestal. And I, I can't assume to understand what, you know, other pastors kids have gone through, but I know for us, for me personally, I didn't feel that pressure from you guys. I created that pressure to be perfect on my own in a lot of ways, um, trying to have it all together or at least look like it did. And so that's, that's been my, you know, part of the journey of faith of working through that. Then the other piece of it is that you guys from a very early age instill in us that we have a call whatever that would be. And, and again, it didn't have to be a pastor or, um, you know, anything else ministry, but that God had a specific purpose for our lives. And I think that's a beautiful thing for kids to grow up with is a sense that, um, God created them for a unique, um, specific purpose that they can make a difference in a world in the world in, in a specific way. And so we, I remember praying from an early age. I, I don't know, maybe when we started, but I'm praying for God to show us our calling. And I remember, um, years of my life, um, praying that and going to the altar, God, tell me my calling, tell me what I'm supposed to do with my life. And that, I think that's such a, a powerful thing. And, um, you know, it's, it's easy sometimes to say that calling is, uh, connected to ministry, but I really believe now more than ever that, that calling is really what we're created for in life, that it can be any number of things. And so I'm grateful for that because we didn't live life as this nebulous, well, you can do whatever you want to, or you're amazing. Um, just, you know, just live your, live your own truth. That wasn't how we grew up. We grew up with live God's truth, live God's calling for your life. And I think that's a really powerful thing. I love that. I love that. What about you, Jess? Yeah, I think one of the things that, I mean, I I agree with everything that John Michael said. There were times where I definitely felt like I was in the fishbowl, you know, and everyone was looking in. Um, But like he said, I don't think that pressure necessarily came from you guys. There was an understanding that as a Christian, we live a certain way, but it wasn't you're a pastor's kid. So you live a certain way. It's because we believe because we're followers of Christ. This is how we act. And this is what we do. And there were times, you know, our, our household was very conservative in the sense of no movies, no, you know, PG 13 movies, no, anything like that. Well, no going to the movies. I should say we watched some movies. Um, And that was hard sometimes because that meant that we weren't invited to some birthday parties or like I was at a birthday party and I had to leave because they wanted to watch a certain movie. Um, And that was hard, but 
at the same time, I think you guys explained it to us of like, this is why we don't do those things. It wasn't just, well, we say so, so you can't. It was, we're not going to invite those things into our minds and into our hearts because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks and, and, and we live our lives that way. And so I think you guys did a good job of, of really helping us understand why we weren't allowed to do things, why there were rules, why there were boundaries, that it was just, it was for our benefit. It wasn't to hold us back from living our lives. And I think that was really important. Another thing you guys did um, that was instrumental in, in, I would say for, I, I can't speak for Michael, but I would assume so as well. Um, you guys sacrificed so that we could experience missions trips and camps and different experiences. Um, God is everywhere. We can experience God everywhere, but there's something special about being removed from our regular situation and focused in on what God has for us, whether that's kids camp, whether that's youth camp, whether that's missions trips, uh, fine arts, whatever that might be. Um, I feel like that was something that was really instrumental for me, at least. Mm, I love it. I love it. I just want I'd add one more thing if that's okay. Um, and maybe this would come in later in conversation, but I think we didn't feel like the church took you guys away from us. Mm. We didn't feel like the church was, was the mistress or the other family. We, we didn't feel like, um, you know, dad was especially so good about, you know, taking us to school every morning and being at every game and, um, and still somehow doing all the work of ministry um, in a growing church and all those things. And so I, I still try, try to figure it out as a pastor now, like how, how did he do that? How did I always feel like dad and you, like you guys were always there, even though you were working so hard in ministry and making sure that nothing was taken away from the church. But we didn't, personally, I didn't feel like the church took anything away from us. So there wasn't a um, contempt. There wasn't any sense that, um, that it, this isn't fair because the church is against us in some ways. And so I think that's the other piece that sometimes ministry and, and all, and I think that can apply to work across the board for those who are listening that um, you don't want your kids to grow up feeling like, well, work is more important. And, and that's a hard balance. I, I have, you know, full-time ministry and two side businesses that I, I run as well. And um, it's, it's hard to try to balance all the time that goes into those things. But that's one of the things I, looking back, go, man, I never felt like the church took something away from us. Well, we are definitely going to kind of circle back around that because there is a, a fourth person and actually a fifth person in this family that's not in on this call that uh, I'd like to come back to because I really do believe that your father was pivotal, pivotal in who you guys are. Now, let me let me just preface, and I should have done this before. So I have come into this interview with you guys wanting to give you permission to also talk about the things that we did wrong. And I'm loving all the good stuff, but I know that there were those those times that we didn't. So I, I hope that you'll feel, feel free to do that. But I wanted to just back up a little bit um, on what you guys talked about because, you know, like Jessica, both of you guys said, we never felt like you said, you can't do this because you were pastor's kids. And that was really deep. I think part of it came from, I wasn't a pastor's kid. Uh, daddy is. So he understood ministry. I was a board member's daughter, you know? And so, while there maybe were some expectations. We weren't necessarily under the spotlight, like the pastor's kids. And yet, 
way back in, I don't even want to say the year. Well, okay, <laughs> the, the 1970s, late 70s, early 80s, I was the square peg in our youth group. And I was the only one who couldn't go to movies. And I was the only one who didn't do this, go to dances and all of that. And, and so, but looking at same thing as you said, Jessica, at least for me, there was such a, an understanding that it wasn't because it wasn't a legalism thing as much as a protection of my heart that my parents um, gave me. And yet it was kind of countercultural. And yet I'm wondering, do you think that maybe learning to be countercultural is important in this day and age? Totally, totally. Because we are called to be different. The word says, you know, that we will face trials because of our belief in the Lord and we will face opposition. And I think learning that early on um, just helps set you up for success as you get older. I think one of the things that was really important for us is that we experienced that before we went to college. And both John Michael and I went to a Christian university. And so there wasn't as much opposition as the, definitely not as much opposition as there would be in a public one. Um, but we went to public school. And so there was that opposition. Um, we didn't fit in. There were proms and there were dances that were held and we didn't go to them. Um, but I think that it was, I think it is really important just to teach that early on and to give those give those opportunities to experience maybe that opposition and then work through it as a family. Um, I think that's, I think that's important to set them up for success in the future. Yeah. I know for me, one of the things that I always tried to say was, um, and again, coming from my background, we don't do that, not because you're pastor's kids, but because we're the weavers. And, and I think what we really and I would even say those to those listening, I am not saying that the way to raise kids who love Jesus and sure. love the church is not to go to dances or movies. I'm not saying that at all. But I do think it's important that as families, especially as mothers and fathers, that we kind of discuss as a couple, who are we going to be as a family? Where are our boundaries? Are we just going to go with the flow of culture? Um, you know, I mean, I just even think, we're living in a world where all of a sudden there is so much, whether it's online or, uh, you know, on Netflix or, or on TV, on, that there's so much that is like shocking, shocking stuff. And, and, you know, not wanting to be legalistic. How do, Michael, how do we, how do we walk that boundary where we have, where we have guidelines for our life, and yet it's not the legalism that that brings death and brings resentment. And I'm sure maybe there was sometimes where it did cause resentment. And how did you work through that? Sure. Well, I mean, I think I've learned a lot over the last decade. Like we've had now the experience of being out of our home and going to college and having to shape our own convictions and our own you know, values, because again, we, we recognize that. And that was a word we use as a family. This is our conviction. Um, not this is doctrine. This is dogma. Right. This is what everyone must do. Therefore you should judge people who don't do what we do, you know? Um, and I think that's, that was, to be honest, a little bit of a hard line as a young kid, as a young person, maybe not even understanding abstract thought and, and looking at my friends who didn't 
believe or act the same way I did and not becoming uh, a little Pharisee. And I honestly, a lot of my journey of faith as an adult has been a Pharisectomy. It has been removing the fair. I'm a recovering Pharisee, um, removing some of that um, judgmentalism and that legalism that, that can creep in. And it's a, it's a hard thing. And sometimes that's in our wiring. Sometimes that's, that's, you know, um, that's in all of it kind of comes together. So I, I think in my own life, I've had to learn that, um, personally, the way that I, I kind of break this down and, and I'm not going against what you guys are saying, but I think Jesus is more concerned with how we treat the people he created and died for than he is about our personal righteousness because our personal righteousness is filthy rags. Right. And I spent a lot of my life trying to be perfect and personally righteous. And honestly, even knowing that it didn't work this way, trying to earn God's favor. Right. And so that's been, that's been a lot of the journey and even something I find myself swinging back into. Um, at the same time, I can also say that there's things in my life now that I kind of like lax in my convictions that I don't like because I have to go back and try to rework and fix the things that I went, well, I'm not going to be that strong on these things. And so personally, and now I've got kids in the house and I'm going, well, I'm going to, I'm going to work <laughs> on this. Like I need to be more careful with my words. I need to be more careful with how I, you know, do this or that thing because I don't want them to, to grow up with that. And so it's a hard, it's a hard balance to figure out. Um, I think that again, it's part of, it's the motivation of it. The reason why I want to work on those things in my life is not only for my kids, but it's like, it's ugly. It's ugly when I say those things. Like, I don't want to be that kind of person. I, I don't want anger to pour out or, or whatever it might be in these things. And so um, that's part of the journey in, in becoming an adult and, and raising kids. Like, and this is something for all parents is that someday they're going to leave. Yeah. Right. Someday they're going to go out into the world. And I, as a youth pastor, I have watched firsthand many, 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 many kids who were protected or in very conservative situations who kind of went off the deep end when they lost, when they, they got the freedom, who walked away from God, who uh, tore away from their families, you know, many things like that. And so um, Jessica brought up a good point that what we did was that we worked through it as a family. We talked about it. We experienced it. We saw the world. Now it wasn't that we're like, Hey, let's go to the bar and then let's discuss why we shouldn't go to the bar. Right. But, um, we, we were careful about those things. And yet at the same time there were conversations. And I think that's something that probably could have done. We could have done more of as a family is actually work through those things in the midst of, Hey, your, your parents, your, your friends are going to parties. Let's talk about this. Why aren't we doing this? Um, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, as, as, as kids, we kind of just went, well, this is what we do and this is what we don't do. And, and that's what it is. Um, but later on in life, we had to kind of, I had to, at least for myself go, why am I going to make this choice? Like I don't drink, not because I can't, not because I'm, you know, um, even as an AG pastor, even though I've made, you know, this dedication to it as an AG pastor. Um, I still have many friends who are pastors who, who choose to personally, I made that decision as a, as a personal conviction um, because I know myself, I know my tendencies, I know my struggles and especially in addictive behaviors. I don't, I don't want to mess with that in my life. And so, um, you know, we've had to make some of those personal decisions along the way and we, we have to work through that process and we need the ability to, um, to process that, you know, that's, that's a beautiful thing you can give your kids is, Hey, let's talk about this. Yeah. Like this is around you, not let's shelter you. So you don't experience it. Cause guess what they're right. going to, they're going to go into the world. They're going to see it. They're going to see differing beliefs. They're going to see differing behaviors. So let's discuss and, and understand 
why God calls us to something different because he does so knowing what's best for us. That's so good. Yeah. And I think that's probably even more important. I think mom, uh, I don't know if you would agree with this, but I feel like both John Michael and I are pretty, we're pretty type A in that we're rule followers. And, and so I don't think Michael or I really ever went through a rebellious period where we turned our, turned our heart or, you know, turned uh, away from the Lord or turned towards really, really bad things. And, and I think that a lot of that has to do with just kind of personality and even birth order and all those like, you know, psychological things. But, um, I think that it, what Michael is talking about is even more important if you have someone who maybe isn't necessarily a rule follower. Um, but I would agree with what Michael was saying about the having to dissect the, the Pharisee in me and remove that. Um, because I do, because I am such a rule follower, I just follow the rules and it's, it's what we do because it's what we do. And, um, as I've, gotten older and as I've lived life, I have to really put into question, okay, why do I believe this? Is it like Michael was talking about, is it doctrine or is it opinion? Mm -hmm. Is it something that is, um, you know, determined, like, is it a salvation issue or is it just a, well, I don't really think this is beneficial issue. Um, and it's been interesting trying to walk that even, even getting my ears pierced before my wedding, because that was like, we never, we just didn't do it. And it was just a preference of dads. And, um, I can honestly say that it was very difficult for me to go against his wishes because I really wanted to have earrings for my wedding. (laughs) And it's not one of those like salvation issues, right? Right. It was just something that, and he, we talked through this. I called him when I wanted to do it and we, we went back and forth and we talked for a while about it. Um, but coming to that place where it was like, okay, this is my decision. Why am I going to make the decision that I'm going to make, you know, and and just kind of walking through that. And it, and it was difficult for this rule follower. It was difficult for this people pleaser, um, to kind of go against that. But dad, again, dad was very good about saying, you know what, this isn't, it's not going to break relationship. This isn't a, an issue of your salvation or anything. It's just what I would prefer. So it was interesting. Yeah. Well, I think daddy and I, one of the things that, you know, we, we, again, cause here we are, we're pastors. So we're not like, daddy's not preaching. Thou shalt not wear earrings or anything. In fact, I'm thinking people who are listening are like, were they raised Amish or what? <laughs> But um, because there was, you know, I guess for me, and I hope you guys would feel the same, even though I was raised with some strict boundaries in my growing up years, there was so much freedom within those boundaries that I didn't feel like I was missing a whole lot out there in the world. And, and, you know, going to high school, a public high school, like you guys went to a public high school. And you were kind of able to see, okay, well, we we have some we have some convictions over here, but but I can also see what having no rules and no right. boundaries can do on the other side. Um, I just wanted to come back to one little thing. Um, I just remember when um, when you guys, you know, you're you're in college, and we always said, you know, as long as you're in under our house, this is are the rules. Um, 
but then you guys had a few little things you and you really never were rebellious both of you now i would go to say to those of you who are listening that does not mean they were easy children <laughs> a little bit a little bit opinionated yes. Uh, yes and i did go to the movies and watch space jam with a friend and i got grounded <laughs> I don't even remember that. Oh my word, we're sounding like the most strict parents in the whole universe. You you were saying we weren't easy necessarily. Yeah, we're very. I mean, we're. I'll, I'll be honest. We're a little bit like you. We got um, yeah. we got some opinion. Oh we, yeah. We're a little bit competitive. Oh yeah. Uh, we speak our minds. <laughs> so if you can't tell, and we can talk. So. Yes. And, and you're absolutely delightful. You're absolutely delightful. Well, the thing I was just going to say is, you know, I, I think you bring up an important thing. There, There is a difference between convictions and doctrine. And so, as I was saying, daddy didn't preach against earrings. That was not doctrine. It was a personal conviction. And I think that for me, especially in overcoming that Phariseeism of going, no, this is what the Lord spoke to me. You know, that this is this is a personal conviction right now with the COVID-19 uh, virus. And you know what a hugger I am, but the Lord has just really clearly told me that I'm not to hug. You know, and there's in Montana, we don't have very many cases. And so just had church and there's people who, you know, I know just think I'm silly, but it's a personal conviction. And can I can I be willing to offend someone else? so that I can obey the Lord. But that, and so we raised you with our convictions, but then as we released you into adulthood, you guys had to find your own. And one of the things that daddy and I really tried to do was that it was okay if your convictions were different than ours. Trusting that the Holy Spirit was gonna lead and guide you just as he had led and guided us. And so I think that's really important. There is a difference between, you know, I think as, as parents, we have to, we're, I love what one of my friends talked to me about, and I wasn't always good at this, but she was so peaceful as a mother. And as you both know, I wasn't always as peaceful. I mean, that's why we're going to talk about perfect father in a bit, because per, imperfect mother made a lot of mistakes. But she said, you know, Joanna, I've realized that God gave me these children not to rule, but to guide. And I think we want our kids to have their own relationship with the Lord. We want them to have their own inner set of values. But I'd like to come back to this whole idea. How do we cultivate our children's walk with the Lord? Because I can't make you have a personal relationship with the Lord. But are there things that we can do? as parents to create an atmosphere or to cultivate? Yeah, I, I'd say number one, I mean, you guys exemplified it. And I think that's so, so important. Obviously we know the whole, you know, practice what you preach and don't, don't live out the do as I say and not as I do. Right. Like that is so, that is so huge. And it's, it, it doesn't mean we have to be perfect. It simply means that we are on a journey and we can show that we're on a journey to our kids. Um, so I think that's, that's the biggest thing, you know, for us, the church was not a, um, I don't even, I never like thought of it as a have to, but uh, so I'm bringing up the church because I think it's a huge part of the discipleship process. But, um, 
but it was something that we wanted to do. It was something we looked forward to. I mean, for us, Jessica and I, like church was kind of our domain. Like it's where all our friends were. It's where we spent the majority of our time. It's where we felt the most ourselves, you know? And, uh, and so I think that um, the tr- having a love of the church, a love of ministry, a love of serving, those things were cultivated partly because of, of your guys' example, but also out of opportunities. So I think that was key. And I, I continue just to encourage families that um, it's so easy just for the church and, and that to kind of become a, Hey, once or twice a month. And we, you know, we also hike on the weekends and go to the lakes and those kinds of things, which great, find your, find your place as you grow as a family. But man, if you can cultivate that love of the body of Christ, that love of the church and that love of mission, God's mission, in, in, a, in a young person. I think that is so key to um, developing that relationship. We, we see it in youth ministry all the time. It's the kids who get involved, who are serving on the worship team and um, helping out with kids ministry and doing all those things that, that are the ones who stick around, the ones who remain faithful through high school. And I, I watch them go on to college and still continue to serve Jesus. And I, I don't know, I'm sure there's a lot of variables, but that continues to be one of the variables I see again and again is they're engaged in the life of the church. And so I think that's huge. Um, you know, for us having the help to learn, you know, you guys provided Bibles, you helped us, you know, get devotionals or whatever it might be to, to, to develop that in our lives. Uh, and, and, but it was never a, you know, and then we had family devotions, but it was never like mom standing there at the door. Hey, did you do your devotions before you go to bed? It, it was never like that. Um, but I think that maybe early on, maybe when we were little ones, it was hey, did you pray, say your prayers? Like we, I remember praying with dad. I remember when Jessica prayed the prayer of salvation Aww. as a little kid, like that's still. <laughs> I wish I remembered it. <laughs> That's still etched in my mind just because, you know, even at six years old or whatever I was, five years old, whatever it was, um, still powerful moment, you know, and, and that praying together and those, those, those times of um, growing closer and it was always around the Lord, you know, and if we had, if we made mistakes, it wasn't like um, just a, you know, you're getting disciplined. It was, let's pray. Let's, let's ask Jesus for help and forgiveness. And, you know, that was a part of the process. So um, yeah, I think that it wasn't, you know, our spiritual life was not removed from every other part of our life. So there was no compartmentalizing. It was everything, you know, Jesus was everything as he's a part of everything. And so I think that's, that's really really big. And I don't know necessarily how you do that in a, you know, for those who are running around to five different sports and doing every little thing. I, I know it's hard not to compartmentalize our spiritual life, but figuring out how to connect those dots is so huge. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say a lot of similar things. I, I think one of the things that was most important to me is that you and dad were the same in public as you were in private. And, um, one of the things that I love about you, mom, and I think that your listeners and readers appreciate is your vulnerability and your willingness to say, like, I don't have it all together and to be quick to ask for forgiveness when you mess up because we all mess up, but, but, um, portraying that or what's the word I'm looking for, exemplifying that in front of your kids and doing those things, walking through forgiveness, walking your, what, what is it? Walking out your salvation with fear and trembling. Like 
you, you do that in front of your kids and they can see that number one, they don't have to be perfect yeah. and that we do mess up, but what do we do when that happens? And I think that that's really important. You know, I know for me, looking back and trying to figure out what did my parents do that really influenced my walk with the Lord. And it really is a lot of what you guys are talking about. I saw them love Jesus. They were the same people, you know, um, they were same people at church as they were at, at home. And even though we didn't have and we really did. I, I think it's interesting, John Michael, that you remember family devotions because it wasn't very oh. regular. <laughs> I don't but remember them. <laughs> I don't remember family devotions, but what I do remember is walking by my dad's door and hearing him pray. Mm-hmm. I do remember his excitement about sharing Jesus with someone. I do remember being the last ones to leave the church because that's how my parents rolled. And but it was so real and and they were such an example but but you just mentioned about um being real and vulnerable one of the most powerful memories i have of my dad is i had gotten in trouble when i was like 14 or 15 and uh and and got punished and he came in later and said you know what i didn't have all the information i made a mistake and i'll never i don't know the details but i remember that my father asked for forgiveness rather than just, well, I'm the boss. And I think that's so huge, that humility piece. Anything else, Jess, as you were on this topic? Well, I was just going to say, and, and you you talked about this too, I would have loved to have had family devotions and to actually um, you know, have those times of prayer together. And I think, and it's, And I told you this, mom, before we even got on the call that I really have a bad memory. Like I'm just not good at remembering things. So it's very possible that you've done these things and I'm just forgetting. Um, But I would have loved, I I know that dad was in the word, but he usually did his Bible study at work because he was a pastor. And so I missed out, I feel like on seeing you guys in the word and, um, having those devotion times. I think that that was one of the things that if I could change anything, that would probably be one of those things is that that was more of a, a visual thing for us so that it was more easily, I mean, not that it's ever easy, but more easily, um, adapted to our own lives as as adults. Yeah. Well, you know, part of my whole ministry is as a struggler in the area of spiritual intimacy with God. And it was long in coming, that regular quiet time with the Lord, probably not until, you know, until you guys were in high school and then I was probably doing it um, then. So, yeah, I, I agree. And yet at the same time, you know, I remember when we were newly married and I'm just like, and especially when we had kids, we have to have family devotions if we're going to have a strong, you know, we have like these little formulas that we work and everything. And I think it's important for us again, to understand it's not that we do everything perfect. And believe me, we could have a whole session about where we, where we didn't do things right. But but what I want to know, and I'd like to drill down on a, a little further, is is that how do we how do we set our kids up to discover Jesus? And you mentioned early, Jess, about camps and different things. And I know for me, those moments where I experienced God were huge. Um, any thoughts on that? How we can help 
as we raise our kids for those moments? Yeah, I think that is, I know that it's an investment and it's a sacrifice um, because camps these days are really expensive. Um, But I know that for my husband and I, it's going to be something that we make happen for our kids. And another thing that, that you can do, even if you can't afford camps, is to get them plugged in. That was the other thing I was going to talk about. Michael talked about um, getting your kids involved in serving. And I have seen exactly the same thing, Michael, that those who serve in kids ministry or in other ministries are so much more likely to stick around. And they're, for a lot of kids, they have that rebellious period where they're saying, I'm not going to church. For us, it was a have to, but there, it was also because Michael and I were involved in serving in the nursery or whichever area, um, there was a love for ministry. There was a love for church. And that doesn't mean, um, that's not necessarily what, what called us into vocational ministry, but I can tell you that that helped us stick around um, in the church is because we were connected and you're not just connected to one person. You're not just connected to the preacher. You're connected to the other volunteers. You're connected to the kids or the per- the people that you're serving. So I think that's huge. So I think you guys both bring up a really important point about getting our kids involved at church. And, you know, I, I just think there's a lot of a lot of people out there listening who maybe they are not in ministry, but they are part of a, a body of Christ. And, you know, I've come to realize, you know, they say it takes a village to raise a child, but I think it takes the church to raise a child. And and when you think of what kind of a church community um, can really help a child in their walk with God, what would you say would be some of the vital components that I think maybe you experienced, at least I felt at our home church up in Whitefish, where it's really cool because now, Michael, you're serving as youth pastor to your former youth pastor. So he's the lead pastor. It's just a cool thing. But but he, there was a bunch of people who who loved you guys. Um, any thoughts on that? How can we create a church environment that kids enjoy and want to be a part of? I think there were definitely people in my life, especially in the teenage years, um, that really invested in me. And I think of like Lisa Croteau, who led a Bible study with us teenage girls after school and um, being involved in in different events like fine arts or different things like that. Um, The people that really, truly, we know care about us, uh, cared about us, but still care about us. I think there there are people that, you know, moms of my friends in, in high school that I know for a fact, if I were to reach out to them and ask them something, they would drop everything and help. And I think, um, being able to have those youth leaders or those kids leaders that really truly invest, I think of like even my stars teacher, Carrie, um, growing up and, and just such a sweetheart. And, and I know that she was invested not only in my spiritual walk, but also just in me as a person and helping me become the woman of God that God created me to be. Um, I think that was huge. And then surrounding myself with friends who were of like mind. I think of like Callie and I think of um, my friend from elementary school, Noelle, and thinking of Nikki, Vanessa. And, and I had all of these friends and, and we were very careful as a family to 
um, make sure that our close friends, that it's not bad to have friends outside of our faith, right? But to have our close friends be people of like mind was huge and super important because those people help shape who we become. And so I think that was huge. Um, and I don't know how much of a part you guys played with played in that as far as like, um, you know, specifically, or maybe it was just kind of, um, you helped us help guide us in those decisions of, of friendships. Uh, but I think that was huge. It, the friendships is a massive part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think the friendship piece is big. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the beautiful things about being well connected in the church and, and being a part of it is that you're around people who are like-minded and, you know, we, we say now to our teenagers, um, you know, your, your friends will determine the direction and quality of your future. And I think that's, that's so true. You know, I remember our youth pastor saying, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Same sort of idea of um, we, you know, our, our friendships are, are crucial, you know, in the church, we had so many people who one they they served, you know, so I remember Nita Niles with her little flannel graph. I mean, maybe that makes me sound really old, but yes. flannel graph, um, Bible stories. And, uh, you know, I remember our, our church all along the way and, and seeing the church grow, which I would also say like, as parents, I feel like it's, I don't know, this is a, this is a, a balanced statement, because it may be different for different people. But I think it's more important for us to engage in a church where our kids are going to be able to connect and grow and learn from Jesus than it is necessarily for it to be our own preferences and the music that we like and all those kinds of things. And so I think most parents kind of get that. I know a lot of parents would, you know, go back to a church simply because their kids want to go back. Um, but it's really important that we are, um, we're, we're doing things to make it, you know, a good, a good fit for our, for our kids and, uh, and putting them in the right place. So, you know, our church was, was great. And it would be, it'd be bad of me to say like, well, it's just our church. Like our, it's just, well, we had a special thing. It's, it's not, I think that many churches have something special, but it's also what you put into it and what you, um, you know, what you expect when you show up. When we, when we went to church, we knew that it was a special thing that we got to be a part of, that it wasn't just, this was like a, um, this was some sort of routine, but that it was something we looked forward to every week. So, you know, I, I think that those are huge. You, you mentioned the, the concept of moments earlier with camps and things, and those were huge. I can look back at specific moments in my life from, you know, being called at the altar of camp, being called to be a pastor, that moment of having prayed for my calling and then knowing that this was my calling for life and uh, having that moment I can look back to even in the hard times of ministry or uh, a life in general and um, and then the moments of you know being baptized in the Holy Spirit or um, experiencing God's power in such a powerful way that I can look back at those things and and so I think creating moments is really important um, whether that's figuring out how to create it as a family by going out and we're gonna spend some time you know seeking God in this thing or whatever it might be but um, you know, creating space for those moments is, is really, really powerful. Cause those are, I would say the, the things that I can't explain away, the, the powerful moments of, of God in my life are the things that have continued to ke- keep me through the difficult times. Mm-hmm. Um, when I can't explain why <laughs> the things I couldn't explain how God did it to the things that I can't explain why things are happening this way. That's what carried me through. Um, and so we want to, we want to find ways to create those moments in our families or, or, or opportunities in the church and camps and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. 
You know, in the last episode, I talked with the author of Mama Bear Apologetics, and she just wants to get the Word of God into people. And I think that that's so important, and I'd love to chat with you guys about that. But I think taking the Word of God and marrying it with the presence of God to where we're we're encountering not just truth— but the living presence of God is so huge. But I'm I'm so grateful. There were opportunities along the way uh, and programs that we had at our church that built the Word of God in you guys. And and would you say that that has been crucial for your life as well, Jessica? Yeah, I would definitely say that. I think things like junior Bible quiz and senior or teen Bible quiz um, was important, but you know, there were people that experienced that and went through that with us who don't serve the Lord yeah. today. And so I do think that it's a very important part because you're hiding God's word in your heart. And even for those who are not walking with the Lord, those things are still hidden in their heart, maybe a little bit deeper than they should be, but they're hidden in their heart. And so I believe, you know, what the word says, the word will not return void. And so I believe that, that even for those who, who aren't walking with the Lord now, those things are still in there. They're still marinating. They're still in the back of their minds. And I've, I've got to believe uh, and trust that God is going to bring those things back up um, when, when it's needed. So Amen. I'm really grateful for those, those things. Michael was always better at it. He was better at memorizing things than I was, but I was okay at it. <laughs> and I'm not competitive at all. That's a lie. I'm super competitive. Um, but I would say that I don't know. I mean, you're memorizing God's word. How could that be a bad thing? Yeah. I just be able to recall those things is, is vital. It's funny because I'll stand up on a Sunday morning and verses come to mind, even just during like the announcements or, you know, prayer time after worship, going into announcements. And almost every one of them is from uh, a, being as, you know, from memorizing as a child, you know, junior Bible quiz, uh, even in kindergarten, we memorized verses yeah. and some of those came back later on, um, you know, and, and the word was always a powerful part of our family. It was, you know, when there was correction, when there was discipline, it was accompanied by the word of God. And and this is why God says this. This is why we don't do this. Here's here's what the word says. And so, um, yeah, I mean, like you, mom, I, I struggled with making the word a part of my day-to-day life for, and I still struggle. I've been, you know, reading through the Bible each year fairly consistently for the last couple of years. Um, but then there's been s- full on years where it's it, we go a week at a time, you know, or more. And and then the coronavirus has really messed up my routine. So I'm behind by 30 days, and, ah, you know, <laughs> um, but yeah, that's the stuff that um, yeah, I'm grateful for. Also, you know, we've learned a lot about accountability and I remember a great guy, Jessica named several names of people who made a difference in her life, but Jeremy, um, was a guy who was a little older than me and he would meet up with me. He'd keep me accountable, challenge me in the word. We pray together each week. Um, you know, there's multiple people in my life throughout my life outside of you guys. And I, and I, that's another thing I would say is mentorship, um, leadership, mm-hmm. uh, having people in our lives. I remember and actually forgot, forgot about this, but dad had a moment, um, I know for me, and I think Jessica, you had something similar when we turned 13, I believe. Yep. Yep. Um, it was not a bar mitzvah, but a bar, remember the word? I'm going to say it wrong. I'll put it in the show notes, you guys. It's really cool. Bar, bar Barak, I think, or something like that. I think it is, Bar Barak. Not son of law, which is bar mitzvah, but son of grace, I think, or something like that. Yeah. Something like that. 
anyway, the, the name didn't really matter. It was the moment. And again, talk about creating moments. We had people in our lives who had spoken into it, men and women of God who, um, who, you know, had been, uh, examples in our lives who came to us and, and spoke life into us and spoke, um, truth and spoke, you know, future and hope. And I think that was, uh, that was just, honestly, that was a, that was a single moment exemplification of what was happening throughout our lives. We saw people throughout our lives who spoke into us, you know, when we received our callings, I know for me, there were many times along the way where people, um, whether it was a prophetic word or it was, uh, someone speaking into me, so like, yeah, you're called to be a pastor. I can see that in you. Yeah. You, you know, that you're going to be amazing. You know, those things were important and having other people to speak into our lives, youth pastors and children's pastors. And, um, those things really meant a lot, um, to solidifying what, what we were already hearing at home. I think that's super important. I, I, I think there are a lot of parents who feel the need to really shelter their kids and, and I get it, but if you are the only one speaking into your child's life, then when they are out of the house and they don't have you there 24 seven, 365 to be able to have other people speaking the same thing. And, um, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? I don't know, but just, yeah, encouraging and, and saying the same thing over to them. And, and how many times, I mean, we've all been there. We've all been kids. We've all been teenagers. When our parents say something, Sometimes it kind of falls on flat ears. Charlie Brown's mother. Bah, 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 bah. Yeah, yeah. To, to hear the same thing from someone else can sometimes have a way more impact. And, and that stinks as a parent, right? You don't want that to be true, but it is. And so to have someone to come alongside your child and to reinforce, that's the word I was looking for, to reinforce those um those ideas and those, those, even just the theology and everything, like to have someone else to come alongside and uh, agree with you in those things, I think is super important. Yeah. Yeah. And I would just say that to you who are listeners, don't underestimate your role in the lives of the kids around you. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that you need to say, be talking to them all the time, but when God stirs something in your heart, be sure to share it. It's been interesting over the years to have some now grown teen, that were teenagers come back and say, when you said da, 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 da to me, it did something in my soul. And, you know, in my mind, I, I thought it was you know, maybe God wanted me to. Sometimes I had no idea that what I was going to say was going to have impact, but God wants to use you. I think, I hope you're hearing this. God wants to use you in in the lives of those kids that are running by you in church. Like if you'll take time and really see them. And I think, I think that our church in Whitefish, they really, I felt like they, they did that with our kids was they saw you guys. And I remember even on um, pastor appreciation days, you guys received gifts as well because they understood that you were a huge part of ministry. And I would just say that to you who are listening, that you, that you see your pastor's kids and you speak life and blessing over them and honor them. Because I can't imagine how hard it would have been had you guys not been part of ministry or 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 resented ministry, and yet that whole bring it brings it back to to our wonderful dad John Weaver, and I have to say, you know, and I've said this, we did a we did a podcast on marriage, and I have to say that he's he's never let me down. He's never made me feel like anything 
is more important than me. And that's a gift because that doesn't mean that he didn't drop everything and go minister. He did a lot. It wasn't that self-protection like what you're talking about, Jessica, where this is our little family time and you're not going to get a part of me. If there was an emergency, he was there. But that that availability. Yeah. What did that mean to you guys? I think that was that was huge. I mean, I write it on pretty much every Father's Day card that I write to him. I'm <laughs> just, thank you for always being there because that's exactly what he did. Like Michael said, he was there. He dropped us off at school. We prayed, he prayed for us before school started. Um, he picked us up from school. He was my t-ball coach. He was my softball coach. And I don't know how, like you said, mommy, how he created boundaries and yet was still available to the people of the church. I'm not sure how he handled that. And I'm sure it was a lot more difficult than it looked. He made it look really easy and it's not easy at all. Um, being in ministry now to figure out where those lines are. Um, but it was massively important um, just as, as a young girl to be able to have a father that um, that I know loves me, that was it wasn't like he was overly affectionate or anything like that, but he said that he loved me. He was proud of me. He, he was there. His presence was a huge part of, of me knowing that he loved me. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I have a story that comes to mind. I've actually used it as an illustration many times before. Um, but, you know, dad was there for almost every like game and track meet and stuff. But I remember one track meet. Uh, running the hurdles and coming around the 300 meter hurdles and hitting the last hurdle and just wiping out and um, not in the split second, like not wanting to get up, like scrap scraped up, just thinking like, I'm done. Like I'm going to lay here and lose this race. And I remember hearing a voice from the stands, get up son. And uh, gosh, why am I getting emotional? Um, it was dad's voice. I could swore. And I got up and I, ran and finished the race and, and finished the race in first. And uh, remember looking around and realizing dad wasn't there that day. Like, well, the only track meet that he hadn't been able to be at that season. And it was a moment of, of realizing, like, I don't know if that was God. I don't know if that was some guy in the stands who just spoke out and it was, you know, something meaningful for me. But to me, that's like, uh, that's like the epitome of what it was. Like dad was always there for us. And uh, I remember, you know, whether it was throwing baseball in the backyard or going and shooting hoops, I'm sure there was so many times he had stuff to do and sermons to finish and, you know, just got back from a, a long counseling session or whatever it was. But it just that availability is, is probably the best word. You know, I think that maybe like maybe it was the Holy Spirit was just transporting him everywhere. I don't know. He's that <laughs> close to God. Like, that's possible. Um <laughs> Yeah. You know, but uh, and you guys work together because like, again, I never felt, we didn't feel like dad was gone. We didn't feel like he was missing or taken away by the church. And somehow you guys made it always feel like it was never mom going, oh, your dad's gone again at work. Right. He has to help again. You know, this thing, there was never any contempt or any kind of, it was like this, this beautiful melding and blending so that everything was, it was a sense that we were a family and we were, you were there for us. You guys were there for us. And so it'd be easy to say it was all dad, but I'm positive that you did the blending (laughs) and that we just didn't know any better in those times where he had to run out and help somebody. And I remember the phone calls, 
you know, at night and from time to time. Um, but I don't remember him being gone, like being missing. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing, mom. I think, I think uh, a lot of times it's easy, easy for us to remember dad being there because he, you know, brought us to school and whatnot. But I think you really, you filled the gaps when he couldn't be there. And that's why, that's why we feel like he was always there. <laughs> I'm just reiterating what Michael said, but I, I just want to give you props too, mom, uh-huh. because um, it wasn't just a one man show for sure. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Well, I, you know how proud I am of both of you and how much you mean to us. And, and, you know, like I said, I, I'm so grateful for, for the things that you've said that we've done right. But I also want to thank you for forgiving us for the times we did things wrong and not, not holding it and being resentful. And I'm sure there were times and there were things that you could have gotten resentful for. You did forget us at Fred Meyer a couple times. So <laughs> I'm That's a whole other story. Ask no, that question. No, There's Jessica was Fred Meyer's. You were Taco Bell. <laughs> and we were we were both Ben Ben Franklin. Yep. Oh, Together. that's right. Yep. Yes, yes. I I'm loving but forgetful. Yes. Well, you guys, you guys have been such a joy to raise. Um, again, I I would just say. As much as I'd like to be able to take credit, I want to honor you guys for choosing Jesus, for choosing to follow him, um, for not, you know, because, hey, all of us parents know we can do the best we can, but our kids, ultimately, the choices come down to them. And, um, you know, I just think of someone who's listening and going, wow, I didn't have a family like that. I can't even relate. Or someone who says, well, yeah, we're divorced, so our children are going to be ruined. I hope you're not getting that message out of this because Jesus' power to save <laughs> and Jesus' power to redeem is way bigger than any mistakes we make. Thank you, Lord. And any imperfection. I know there's a lot of us that have had dreams for our families that haven't come true. And I would just say, I think Jessica said it, don't, don't stop praying. Don't stop persevering in asking God to restore those things that have been broken. But um, I, any thoughts you would say, to, especially maybe to some kids out there that were, have been hurt by the church, they didn't have a family like you had? Oh. The, the struggle of all this and this and parents as well is that we're, we are all broken, imperfect and hypocrites. Church is full of hypocrites. Yes. And when I joined it, it added another, you know, like we, that's the truth with life. Like none of us have it together. And um, that is the beauty of this is a bunch of imperfect people trying to pursue a perfect God. And we need that. We need to be reminded of um, the fact that we're all different and that there's diversity and that there's power in that. We need um, people around us, even in their mistakes, because I can tell you there's been people at churches come up to us along the way, say things that probably was not the right thing to say. It wasn't helpful or whatever it might be. And yet knowing the heart, knowing that people care, knowing that we're united under the banner of Christ, knowing that we're united by this family of God. And um, that is such a beautiful thing. Like you can't put 
you know, can't put a price tag on that. I think about like our, our Christmases as a family, like you can't put a price tag on those moments and those times we get together and like all the things over those moments over our lifetime, like none, none of those things, if I had to go back and trade it out for some money, like it would not even compare. There's nothing in there. And so those things matter. And I think um, if we can continue to um, keep what matters most ahead of us and to remember that we're not in this thing alone. I'm, I'm grateful for the church and I've been a part of um, imperfect ones all across the board because there's no perfect church. And maybe it's just because I was there and they weren't perfect anymore. But um, there's a, there's so much power. Like Jesus didn't die for us alone. He didn't die. So we have individual relationships with him. He died so that we would have a personal relationship in community with other people. And, um, you know, he could have just come died on the earth and saved us and gone back to heaven and, you know, been done. But he actually started this movement that we call the church. And he began this thing knowing that it was what would bring about what he intended for the world, which wasn't just forgiveness of sins, but shalom, like complete wholeness of all of creation in the end. And that the church is meant to be a part of that, this beautiful broke, broken, imperfect organism, breathing, living, all that stuff. And so, um, man, I, I have gone through seasons of my life of being angry at the church because of how broken it is. And, and yet, um, as I look at it, it's just this beautiful, this beautiful thing that Jesus is working on and that we get to be a part of. And that, that is really something special. So I, I just continue to, I come back to it. Maybe, maybe it's not fair because I, serve in the church. Um, but I just think that there's so much power in community, find your faith community, whatever that looks like. Um, because we need each other. We are much better off together. Amen. Yeah. I would say, um, a couple of things for those of you who, who didn't grow up in a godly family. Um, it's going to take effort to change your story, but you can. And I think it, it can be really easy to fall into what we know. Um, and you see that all the time with what people call generational sin or whatnot. You know, my dad was an alcoholic, so I'm bound to be an alcoholic or, or uh, it's across the board. But if you did not grow up in a church or excuse me, in a, in a family that was uh, godly, you can change your story. You can change the story for your children. And just because you don't necessarily know what it looks like, can I just encourage you that the Lord will show you? That's what the Holy Spirit is for. He's there to guide you. Um, Jesus sent him as a helper for us. We don't have to do it alone. There's so many resources out there. Um, great resources. Focus on the family. There's a ton just even on the internet. There's um Large churches are putting out totally free content for families. Just just look. And it, it'll take effort to change your story, but it's not impossible. So don't let your past define your future, which sounds really cliche to say, but it's true. Your kids don't have to experience the same thing you Amen. experienced. Um, you just have to, to take action and, and, and try. One of the things that um, I think you guys – were really careful of um, both mom and dad were what was to be what how do I want to say this how to guard us from the negativity 
that did happen in the church because our church was not perfect. Like Michael saying, the church is filled with imperfect people. But what you didn't do, what we did not see you do was take those imperfections and talk about them at home and gossip about people behind their backs. Whether you were the pastors or not, it wouldn't matter. If you were to have talked negative about people in the church to us, that would have given us a negative picture of the church. And, and I think um, because we were pastor's kids, we saw some of that. But I feel like you were very careful to guard us from the hurt that you guys experienced um, from people that were harsh. And I think that that was, um, that was huge in protecting our hearts and our love for the Lord and for the church. So I would, just, I would encourage you guys out there as well to do the same. Don't, you know, if someone does something and hurts you, I understand that you have to process, but do that in private, do that away from your kids because they don't need to be sucked into it. That's just my thoughts. That's so good. That's huge. That's huge. Yes. Yes. And I think, you know, I, I do think that loving, loving your spouse is the greatest gift that you can give your children. And that doesn't mean it's always easy, but not only keeping, guarding your children from those negative things that you may be feeling in your work or in your church, but also in your marriage, let's love each other. Well, I, I know that was the greatest gift my parents gave me is I just knew, I knew that my dad loved my mom and my mom loved my dad. Well, you guys, it has been such a delight to be with you. Thank you so much for sharing. And again, I'm so honored to be your mama. So honored. The, the fifth person, the fifth person that I mentioned earlier was joshuaweaver.com. Our little surprise. You were 14, Jessica, John, Michael, you were almost 17. And all of a sudden this, can you just talk just briefly what that did? And then we're going to close. What was uh, it well, like? When you, when you first told us, that was like, you. <laughs> I don't want to think about that. Um, because that's when it, at that point I knew what that meant. But um, it was you know, Josh, although I know, and you, you've talked openly about this mom, I know that it was hard for you um, because you were so close to being, you know, empty nesters and being free from parenting and chill, you know, kids. Um, he was a surprise, but man, was he a blessing. Yeah. Um, and he really, even just um, practically speaking, he taught me how to be a mom and he taught me how to, you know, a second mom, obviously, um, taught me how to care for little ones. But he's such a, just a little encourager. And he had challenges, um, you know, just physically and having to have um, physical therapy and different things like that. But he was just a little fighter. And there were moments where he would say, I can't do this. And you you and dad were very quick to say, yes, you can. And to, to be careful to not allow him to believe those things about himself, um, I think was really cool. I don't know. I, I, he was just such a blessing. He and is, isn't he, still? I, I wish, I'm, I'm a little jealous of Michael and Cammy because, um, granted, Michael had very little time with Josh before he went to college. But then they came back and yes. lived in the same town with you guys and, and were youth pastors there for how long was it? Five and a half years. Yeah. 
five and a half years and, and you really got to know Josh. And I feel, I feel a little bit like disappointed that I've kind of missed out on that. And I love him. Yeah, I do. But I just wish I could get to know him better. (laughs) That's a hard part about the age gap is that, yeah, you know, I was, he was a year and a half, I think, when I was heading to college. And I remember weeping with his little, like, one-year-old self sitting on the couch, not knowing anything about the fact that I was going to be gone. You know, so I felt the same way on the on the front end. But, yeah, I mean, Josh is such a – man, I think he's shown us such a um, – just a natural love for people. I mean, he yes. was – from an early age, he was up at the altar grabbing Kleenexes and taking them <laughs> to people as soon as he could walk just about. And – you know, every baby was like, you go up and you hug them and, you know, right away, even as Kiss a baby. You know? And so <laughs> all that stuff. And, um, you know, so he showed, he showed us so much of that. I think one of the beautiful, one of the beautiful pictures still burn in my mind um, is, uh, and I'm not going to look at you guys because it makes it hard to do this, but as a 16 or 17 year old, um, one night coming up late in the middle of the night, I uh, don't remember why, but hearing mom, you singing, and um, peeking in and watching you holding him and rocking him and singing to him and um, realizing that that's what you did for me, you know, realizing that the sacrifices and the late nights and the, you know, the singing over, you know, worship songs and praying for it, all that stuff, realizing as a 17 year old, like, hold on, like, I did not value that, you know, I, and that was a, that was a huge thing for me to realize um, all the years of not knowing the sacrifices and <laughs> all those things of, of the beauty of, of um, how you loved a little baby. And it just gave me a new, you know, a new understanding. And I don't know if it clicked and it was a light switch and I suddenly completely acted differently. I can't say that, but I know that it was a meaningful moment for me of realizing the sacrifices and, um, you know what that meant. So that was, that was a pretty powerful picture as a, as a teenager, you know, yeah. to see, um, and to be reminded of what all those years of, you know, not being able to remember what those, what those might've looked like. Yeah. I love that. You know, I have a picture totally emblazoned in my mind of you, you were going to school, Michael, you're 16, 17. Josh was just probably a few months old and I was, you know, just holding him in bed. And so you came, and I don't know if I can describe it, but you leaned across my body to say goodbye to him. And all of a sudden, I had a snapshot of my my boy man and my boy baby, <laughs> just in one little snapshot. And just this sense of, oh, it is so worth it. It is so worth it. And to you, Mama Jessica, with baby Nathaniel, almost one year old, and Jessica, John Michael, Daddy, to Jackson and Quinn, almost two. Oh, you guys, it's worth it. Parenting is one of the hardest jobs, but one of the most glorious, glorious jobs of all. And so, and now seeing you guys as an adult, it's, it's even more worth it. So I love you guys, and I just thank God for you. Michael, would you just pray for those families out there, those listeners out there that are maybe really in the middle of it right now, and they don't see such a good, happy ending, 
And maybe there's regret in the past. Um, maybe they haven't had some of the foundational things. But would you just pray? Because I love what you said, Jessica. Oh, God is the God of new beginnings. He's mm. a God of, he changes stories all the time. That's what he does best. Would you pray? Yeah, absolutely. Lord, we are so grateful. Um, we're so grateful for our family, for my parents, um, but we also, to all those out there who maybe have had the difficult situations, who maybe their relationship with their father or their mother was strained, and maybe the memories aren't beautiful ones, and maybe, God, they have even struggled in understanding a good heavenly father because of their experiences. Lord, I just pray that you would pierce through those things. Even as in memory, a lot of times it's the good things that are coming up. Lord, I pray that we would find the good. We'd find the gold amidst the rubbish. God, that we'd be able to um, push aside and deal with, you know, work through the things that we need to work through that could impact our future so that we could turn the corner And God, I think what Jessica said is so beautiful that we could begin a new branch of our family tree, Mm. that we could change the outcome and the outlook of generations to come because we're serving a God, a God who changes things, a God who transforms, a God who um, has taken this this broken world in the midst of its sin and, and imparted and dropped in at the answer, the solution in the, in the person of Jesus Christ to live a sinless life and to die, but also to rise again, to say that death has no hold, that, that addiction has no Amen. power, that, that, that the enemy will not prevail because yes. it is ultimately God who has the final word, the final word in our families, the final word in our parenting, the final word in the outcomes of our lives. God, we cannot control our own outcomes. Only you stand over it all. And you are a God of grace and forgiveness. And so we come to you in our brokenness and we ask for you to forgive and to, to, to do the healing that needs to happen in our own lives, but also maybe in our relationships with our, our kids or our loved ones. God, that we could see healing happen. And God, we know because we've seen it over and over again. If you can heal a broken hand, if you can make the cripple to walk and you can raise the yes. dead to life, you can raise dead families yes, to life. Yes, yes, yes. You can bring yes, reconciliation. Lord. Yes, Jesus. You can bring healing between yes, daughters Lord. and fathers and sons and mothers. Yes, Lord. God, that you can bring wholeness where the enemy intended for brokenness. Yes, God. So we come before you, the only one who can truly do that, yes, the only God. one with the power to save and to heal. And we call on you out of our own brokenness and of our own weakness, because in our weakness, you are made stronger. So we mm-hmm. submit to you daily and we choose intentionally to do what it takes yes. to see the healing through. God, whether you choose to heal in a moment or whether it takes a cast, we choose to do what it takes and and the same should be true for our families and our relationships, God, that we would do what it takes, that we'd put in the effort that we'd fight for our families. We'd fight for our marriages. Mm. We'd fight for our kids. And ultimately we would trust you with the results, with the outcomes. We trust in your goodness because you are a good father and you promised us throughout scripture Train up, a way, train, train up a child in the way they should go, and they will not depart from it when they're old. 
you've you've said again and again that you do not bruise a, a bro, you do not break a bruised reed that you are a father to the fatherless. Yes. God, you are the one we need. It's not by our strength, not by our power, but by your spirit, God. And so we come to you and we relinquish control. We do our part, but we trust you will do yours because you are good. You will do all that you've promised to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, that was such a sweet time. I'm still wiping away tears. I hope you were encouraged and not discouraged by our conversation. You may be experiencing so much pain and regret right now, even division in your family relationships. But please hear what Jessica said. God wants to rewrite your story, my friend. It's not too late to start over with His help. Perhaps when my kids talked about their father, it awakened the old pain over having a father who never showed you unconditional love and support. I'm praying that the Lord heals your heart this Father's Day as our perfect Heavenly Father wraps His love around your heart. Finally, I'm certain that many of you listening here have been hurt by the church. Stuff happens. Imperfect people hurt people. As one of God's representatives of the church, I would like to ask you to forgive us. To forgive us. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is not a pastor or ministry leader alive that wants to be a roadblock between your heart and God. Most of all, we don't want what we've done or not done to be the reason why you're not going to church, why you're not partaking of the sweet fellowship that comes from living life with God's people. No matter what happened in the past, and I know some of it's pretty bad, I know that God wants to heal you, and I'm praying that today you'll allow it to start. Well, raising kids who love Jesus as well as the church is a tall order, because in reality, we can't make kids do anything, especially when they become adults. But we can make them hungry for more of Jesus by showing them the path to His presence. Imperfect people serving an altogether perfect God his life filling our lives so that we live and love and lead like Jesus. See you next time, my friend. God bless.